0: The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jagger. Presenting Season 8, Collision. Man in the Mirror, written by Mercedes Lackey, Dennis Lee, Cody Martin, and Veronica Jagger. Mel leaned over the polished countertop and scowled. This is a bar. People come here to drink. Einhorn blinked at her. Tea is a drink? No. But... And if you're going to read a book, then find a table. She shook her head and walked to the corner where a far less talkative individual sat, hands curled around an amber bottle. The bar was meant for serious drinkers, those willing to either do shots in quick succession or maintain a strong and steady consumption with their tipple of choosing. There were those who would sit in the shadows, watching the action as they slowly nursed a single drink over the course of several hours. Some would unwind after a long day's work on the Echo campus, and some would use the opportunity to push relationships that couldn't fit within the bounds of normal operations. They were a diverse bunch, but one thing all her patrons held in common was power. The bar had no proper name. Situated approximately halfway between the main Echo campus and the small headquarters of the CCCP in the downtown core, and owned by the Colt brothers, it had become a speakeasy for metas. Some called it normality, while others referred to it as no heroics, while a select few had christened it Mel Sent Me, a name that was quickly growing in popularity, since Mel was the most popular of the metas that volunteered as barkeeps. It was marked by a small sign on a plain industrial metal door that read only, Private Club, Invitation Only. There were no windows in the brick exterior. Bella had seen to it that all of the proper licenses were obtained once she'd become aware of the existence of the place, which had operated since the invasion under the quasi-legal facade of being a social club. Nell withdrew her trusty bottle-opener and popped open two bottles, sliding them down to a pair of echo operatives who nodded their thanks and moved to join others congregated around a pool table. This would be the slowest time of the night. Once the comrades of the CCCP showed up, she wouldn't get a moment's rest until closing time. Untermensch always preferred the corner. For one thing, it was easier to keep an eye on the entire room. For another... It was easier to keep away from Pavel. Anyplace else, Natalia regarded him, or Murdoch, as being responsible for Pavel's behavior. Well, Murdoch wasn't an option at this point. This mind-wiped version hadn't the least idea of how to handle the Soviet bear, at least not yet. Thus, the responsibility fell squarely on Hunter's shoulders. It wasn't that he resented the doddering old fool. Bear was his friend, his comrade... He could be counted on in a fight and took his responsibilities seriously when he had to. The bear was simply tiring. Between his attempted philandering and the constant misunderstandings he got himself into, it took a lot of energy to look after Pavel. Except, thanks be to marks here in this bar, even Red Savior would not ask him to babysit Pavel in the semi-private Metabar. Here, if Pavel insulted a pretty Dvushka, She could handle the situation herself, and would probably be equally infuriated to have someone else step in and interfere. So Unter could, for a few hours at least, brood in relative peace over his vodka, merely watch Pavel and enjoy the entertainment without being obligated to break it up. Corby was off in the corner. He had snuck in a gaggle of Georgia Tech co-eds. They were all in Echo Personnel cosplay, which was the only reason he was able to get them past the bouncer. One of them tugged at the edge of her pale blue skin suit. Corby playfully slapped her hand away. Got to keep up appearances, love. All of the co-eds swooned each time he talked. He hammed up his accent whenever he was trying to pick up American girls, and tonight he was in full form. I should have better body paint, she lamented. I mean, do you think this makes me look as cute as dark blue? At least, Corby smirked. Her friend squealed at the compliment and patted the sparkly plastic horn she had pinned in her hair. And me? Do I look as pretty as the real Einhorn? I think these shoes make me too tall, she drawled, extending a long leg for Corby's approval. What do you think? "'Good enough to eat, my love,' he leaned in for a kiss, "'only to be bumped roughly aside by the Soviet bear. "'Corby cursed as his elbow dinged off of the bear's metallic chest "'while the co-ed nearly lost her drink. Photo grenade. "'Pavel snapped a picture with a beat-up and ancient Polaroid camera. "'The overbright flash blinded both Corby and the co-ed. "'The bear shook the picture, inspecting it. "'Ah, that is good one!' He clapped Corby on the shoulder heavily. So, Comrade Birdboy, bird boy. How is rash? Or is molting? (laughs) Always confusing the two. The coed that Corby had been the most interested in, a disgusted look on her face, pranced over to her friends. The group of them started to crowd closer to Unter, who was seemingly ignoring them. Corby was nonplussed. Thanks loads for that, mate. Sto, im not good wingman. He nudged one of Corby's wings with his elbow. Eh? Is yes, proper amerikansky term, net? He switched his attention back to the retreating co-eds. Darlings, come to see dancing bear. My English is better than that sour old Ukrainian's. At the bar, two men in echo uniforms sat close together, hunched over their drinks. They were speaking quietly, furtively, breaking off whenever anyone came within five feet of them. They would have almost looked conspiratorial, if they weren't so painfully obvious. Mel had grown impatient with them, rolling her eyes at their pathetic, and failed, attempts to appear casual, and had chosen the expedient route of simply leaving the bottle next to them. "'I'm telling you, Matt, if Jensen doesn't give me that transfer request soon, I'm just going to call in sick for the next month.' The man shuddered and reached for the bottle, pouring himself another shot. Christ, Dougie, you have to relax, man. No, no, Doug insisted, and raised the shot with a trembling hand. You just don't know, man. No one does. I've logged more time in top hold, been closer to her than anyone. I'm telling you, everything about her is wrong. I haven't had a decent night's sleep in weeks. She's doing something to me. She's inside me somehow. I know it. I can't shake her eyes. Even now it's like she's... Watching me. Doug, Matt said with a sigh. I'll talk to Jensen. We'll get you transferred. But these things don't happen overnight. In the meantime, you have to pull it together. You're cracking up, dude. The lady's a prisoner. We're her guards. Just do your job. Follow the rules. Don't those rules bother you, man? Doug interrupted. She used to walk around free as one of us. How the hell did she pull that off? How'd she fool everyone? Don't we have, like, telepaths or something? And now, she's the sole prisoner in the highest security cell of Top Hold. They've got a strict 50-foot perimeter set up around her. Even we're not allowed to be within 20 feet of her, let alone touch her. They don't even want us to make eye contact. What is it about her? No one's saying dick about it. I tell you, man, she's just not right. She was one of Bulwark's misfits, wasn't she? Matt mused. Yeah, and she fooled Bull, too. You ever try to pull the wool over Bull's eyes? (laughs) Forget it, dude. Guy'll see you coming from a mile away. She's got game, sure. I mean, if even half of the rumors are true. What rumors? Doug asked, pounding back another. Oh, you know, the usual crap. She's some sort of vampire ninja, or maybe a ninja vampire. They say that she can smell your thoughts. Some guy that saw Tesla's body said she must have scared him to death because his face was all twisted up like he'd been screaming when he died. I heard tell she rose out of the ground like mist and punched her pinky into that acrobat guy's ear and just ripped his head off. You really believe that? I don't know. The service was closed casket for a reason, though, wasn't it? You hear what Scope did? Put a couple in her brain pan, point-blank, and it didn't do much more than knock her out. I pity her, Doug said, shuddering. Who, Harmony? Now, Scope. You seen her lately? She was all drive and misperfectionist before, but now? She reeks of booze. She's mouthing off to anyone who gets in her way. She's just a mess. That whole crew was messed up to begin with, Matt said with a shrug. And Harmony was one of them, don't forget that. Just follow the rules, watch the monitors, bring her dinner, and keep the hell away. Doug nodded, his face gaunt and haunted. You guys even got someone to take my shift? Reimer? Goodall? Bakersfield? Matt grunted a no. Still on leave. Don't worry, we'll mix it up. There's got to be someone who can use the overtime. Doug chuckled nervously. Maybe you should get someone who knows her, can handle her. Like Bull himself. Yeah, like he'd bring himself down to guard duty, Matt scoffed. Haven't you heard? He's been spending time with a boss lady herself. Don't think she'd like it, him spending time with his ex. You heard that too? Doug exclaimed. Man, Bull really got around, didn't he? (laughs) Then uh, what about the genie? Matt laughed. Oh, the things he had heard about the genie, Bella, and Bulwark. He motioned Doug to come closer, prepared to dish on all the interesting musings he had heard on his guard shifts when the front door flew open with a bang and the occupants of the bar were presented with a truly astonishing sight. Two men crashed through the open door. Both had been there before, though— one had no recollection of it, and the other usually wore a friendlier face. No one could recall them entering together before or even speaking to the other. More astonishing was the fact that one was riding piggyback, hanging on desperately by the red scarf caught in the other's teeth. Quit struggling, goddammit! I'm taking you in one way or another! John was struggling to keep a hold on the scarf while simultaneously trying to put the other man's hands into a set of zip ties. Ooh, mm. mm cried the genie, desperately trying to buck him off. They bounced off the bar and careened towards the dance floor, scattering a few of the co-eds as they screamed and dove for cover. The bear, dancing and oblivious to the sudden disruption, only noticed when his gaggle of young companions had chosen Untermensch as their new shield. He turned in dismay. "'Is too challenging?' Bear asked, his vodka sloshing over his chassis. "'Is too suggestive?' Bear would be happy to be having better suggestions for dancing. Perhaps we find Paul. Ah! The pair barreled towards Bear, Red bucking like a rodeo pony, and John hanging on for all he was worth. John drove an elbow down into Red's side. The genie stumbled, and they collided with Pavel's armored legs. With a meaty smack clang, they bounced off, John losing his grip while Red fell to his hands and knees. The remaining rotgut in Pavel's bottle splashed out, completely drenching the three of them. Pavel looked forlornly at his bottle, shrugged, and then clumped nonchalantly up to the bar. Red rolled away, came to his feet, and removed the scarf from his mouth. Damn it, Johnny, for the last time! It's me! It's... John didn't let him finish. He dove forward, caught Red around the middle, and hurled him back. They collided with the pool table, and Red screamed as the edge bit into his back. John jabbed Red once in the jaw, then drew his fist back, shaking it. Son of a bitch, that hurt! Without missing a beat, Red planted his right foot in the middle of John's chest, braced himself against the table, and kicked him off. John swung his arms to keep his balance. Both of them settled into fighting stances and were about to start again when some of the patrons, not any of the serious drinkers' mind who were watching the situation with bemused half-attention, restrained both of them. That's Draken of the Rebs! John screamed, trying to shake Hunter off. His power's in his speech. You can't let him talk. One of his hands erupted in flame. I found the bastard out on the street, and I'm trying to collar him. No, Mel said dryly, her hands gently but firmly grasping the genie's shoulders. That's Red Genie of Echo. Any power in his speech is limited to cussing, sarcasm, and poorly timed dick jokes. Ain't seen a rating on that yet. Now... Both of you, shut your mouths, stand down, and maybe you'll get a beer out of this. John relaxed after a moment's hesitation and stepped forward as Unter let him go. Red genie? Yeah, Red answered, wringing the vodka out of his scarf. Why the hell didn't you just say so? John was still nursing the hand he'd punched Red with. He was clearly more than a little annoyed. Red paused and gave him an exasperated look. He turned to Mel, and back to John, and back to Mel again. "'Please, let me hit him. Just once more. "'If I do that, then he'll be buying you drinks and taking you home. "'Everybody knows what sorts of girls you favor.' She winked at him and patted him lightly on the cheek. "'Can't let him have all the fun, can I? "'And as for you,' she called to John, You're easy on the eyes from both sides, but don't think I won't send you out of here limping in a bad way if you pull that bullshit again. Understand? John extinguished his fires, then shrugged. Your house, your rules, he said, a little angrier than he had intended. He looked to Red, motioning towards the bar. Well, we're here. Drink? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Red answered, massaging his jaw, and motioned to Mel. The usual. Scotch and a beer, plus whatever his usual is. John sidled up to the bar, still scowling a bit. She poured two glasses of Lefroig, setting one in front of each man alongside two ice-cold longnecks. Red accepted his scotch and favored Mel with a thankful grimace. I suppose I should have known better, he muttered. Should have known the C.C.C.P. would have been after Dragon too. He raised his glass up to John, who obliged the toast by raising his own. Untermensch turned his face away only so that neither of the two could read his lips. Comrade Victorix, he muttered, only so that Vicky's implanted mic could pick up what he was saying. Why were you not informing Murdoch that he was attempting to apprehend the genie? He was met with the sound of brittle crunching. She was obviously munching on popcorn. What? And ruin the show? She mumbled, and followed the statement with an audible gulp. And now I'm out of pop. (laughs) Time to switch up to the hard stuff. You know, you're okay, Jeannie, John said, leaning heavily against the bar. He hadn't started slurring his words yet, but his eyes had definitely taken a glassy shine to them. I mean, you know, for a rotten damn crook. And you're just freaking awesome, Red exclaimed, throwing an arm around John's neck. Ma'am, we have to do this more. Do what? Drink? That's a great idea, Red shouted. More wine. We're sipping scotch. Whatever, Red agreed. Mel obligingly filled both of their glasses again without any further prompting. She favored John with a slight smile, but the look she flashed at Jeanie was positively radiant. Both of them watched intently while she strutted away. John was the first to shake himself out of it. Scenery ain't bad in this joint. It's got that much going for it. Mmm, Red agreed. Then he began to shake his head. Violently. If you're gonna puke... Do it to your right, John said with mild alarm. Nope, you can, Jeannie said. I just realized I'm drunk. The kind of bad things that happen when I get this way and that I should really sober up. <laughs> what, walk out the door with your face upside down or something? This started John on a short giggling fit. No, but I can do that if it amuse you, Red sighed. I meant... That. He pointed at Mel with his chin. Women. John waved his hand, exasperated, finishing off his beer. Don't even get me started on that, comrade. What? Like, you could possibly have woman trouble. John grinned lopsidedly. Well, I do, all right. Like, for example, there's this one gal. Eyes as big as saucers, down in Bolivia. So, Overwatch, my money is on Genie to drink Murdoch under table. Untermensch finished his vodka and poured himself another. <laughs> my money is on you, Vicky replied. You've had more practice than either of them. Plus, <laughs> you're Russian. Untermensch barked a laugh. <laughs> Next one is on me, And it turns out, it wasn't her doing the licking. It was the badger. (laughs) John roared with laughter. (laughs) You ain't right, Red. I'm gonna say that right here and now. No argument here, Red shrugged. The shouts came from around the bar. Or here. (laughs) You got that right, Murdoch. Genie's about as right as a football bat. All right, all right, Red barked. Yeah, I see you, doggy man. At least my friends don't drink out of the toilet bowl. There was a pause. Except for Bear, everyone said in unison. So? Someone needs one thing autograph. There rose up from behind the bar a bottle of Mel's best vodka in one hand. He tried unsuccessfully to hide it, but Mel snatched it back, smacked him in the head with his own hat, and chased him out to the front again. The bear was hooting with laughter. He settled the hat back on his head and waggled an admonishing finger at Mel. Now, now, Dabushka, you must be waiting your turn, my little blini. He headed into the dance floor. The bear is in demand tonight, he trumpeted as the cosplayers scattered. Red watched him go with a grin. Now see, Johnny, there's a guy who's got it wired. Well, I mean, he's got a lot of wire, and I can see that. more'n a few shorts, if you ask me. John looked at the bottom of his scotch glass, swirling the drink slightly. He sure as hell can drink, I'll say that much. Oh, he's my hero, Red said with wonder. <laughs> Why, because he's always pickled? John chuckled. No, he's just so obvious, Red said dreamily. He motioned to the floor as Bear sashayed up to yet another unsuspecting girl. She turned, found herself nose-to-nose with the grinning lecher, and screamed. He has no clue the terror he's invoking in these girls. He just keeps on keeping on. Thinks he's gifting them with his attention. There's no room to get hurt. Makes him invincible in a way. Not to the commissar's excoriations, Or whatever piece of crockery she feels like chucking around. Red chuckled. You're saying bears made a play for your commissar? John visibly shuddered. (laughs) Hell no. He wouldn't be among the living if he had. Everyone else seems to be fair game, though. Well, not like you have any shortage of cute girls at that old factory HQ of yours. Red gave him an oddly speculative look. What about you? Any interests on the home front? John shrugged. Got a few prospective gals that seem interested. The Russians are a bit on the strange side, but that's all right every now and again. Gammy and Little Thing is on the shy side. She's usually pulling double shifts using her radar stuff to keep an eye out around our area of operations. Momona... She's an Atlanta native. I don't trust in a gal that can throw knives better than I can, though. He took a sip of his drink, thinking. There's also that Sarah gal. I really don't know what her deal is. She's... different, not just the wings, mind you. Always seems to be watching me, following me around. But a little scared-like. He finished his drink, elbowing Red. You? I imagine that a campus would be a decent spot to pick up women. Any even take a shine to you? Red chuckled. No, I seem to have a bit of a rep. People, not just girls, avoid me. Just as well. Like I said, bad things happen with me and women. John looked at Mel. What about that one? She seems to have eyes only for you. Red stole a look and caught Mel casting furtive glances his way. You noticed that, did you? I don't know, Johnny. I've worked with her before. She's never really given me the stare before. Something's changed with her. I heard she got shot in the head, John said with a shrug. How's that for a change? It could be, Red said. Not the first time a severe head wound has gotten a girl to change her mind about me. I'm just getting a weird vibe from her. Like, anything there would start odd and... and badly. Could be a fun middle, though, John grinned. Could be, Red admitted. You ever get that feeling about a girl before? John asked. Every freaking time, Red muttered. At the end of the bar, Untermensch shook his head. Comrade Murdoch is moron, he offered to overwatch. What makes you say that? All those stories of women, yet he has beautiful angel creatures sick in love with him, still, and cannot see it. Untermensch snorted. Moron. Blind. There was a long pause. Then, yeah, came the soft reply. In Untermensch's corner there was a puff of displaced air right over something that looked for all the world like a stone drink coaster set into the marble of the bar. There was a tracing of fine lines like Celtic knotwork all around the rim of it, incised into whatever material it was. And at that moment there was something that looked like a lumpy stone statue made by a kindergartner standing on top of the coaster. Unter nodded at it. It nodded back. Unter raised a finger to attract Mel, then pointed down at the little stone figure. Mel reached under the bar and poured a double shot of single malt into a small paper cup and brought it over to the two. But rather than handing it to Unter, she gave it to the little statue, who took it, wrapping both arms around it to hold it. There was another puff of air, and the statue and its burden were gone. Daughter of Rasputin is serious about drinking. "'Unter observed, and went back to his own tipple. "'Ain't now the proper way to be,' Mel answered "'as she sauntered back to her place at the bar. "'From the corner closest to the door, "'Yankee Pride did his best to blend in with civilian clothing "'and a local brew that Mel had recommended "'for someone with real hometown taste. "'Most of the younger patrons kept to themselves, "'casting suspicious glances as they avoided his table.' Pride ignored the giggling group of non-echo ladies and focused on the latest report from the different groups in the city ready to lodge their complaints against the organization. It was a long list. It came with being the face of the organization, the willingness to listen and nod in spite of half a dozen stuffed suits and their pet lawyers demanding compensation for what they felt were actions against the city. He had no problem going to those meetings and making the necessary concessions, but it didn't make him feel all that heroic. If anything, it just made him feel tired. Pride knew that he was older than most of the metas in the establishment. If he was completely honest with himself, he was old enough to be a father to some of them. Instead of going home to a loving wife and a house full of kids, he sat in a dark corner of a bar, doing paperwork. He cast a furtive glance at the lone CCCP member across the room. Even he wasn't doing paperwork, which was saying something for the Russian. Pride rubbed his face with one hand and let the slim tablet fall to the table. "'Not lacking what you read, sir?' Mel stood at the table, a tray full of empty bottles and glasses balanced against her hip. "'If you'd like, I'll put on one of the evening's games. You root for the Bulldogs or that other team?' she asked with a wink. He couldn't resist the smile and answered with his own wink. "'My mama warned me.' Some things are best kept a secret when you've got to be in charge. People form alliances over the strangest things. Ain't that the truth? she drawled. But really, you want some company? If you squint hard enough, it looks like Parker, Marianne, and that CCCP woman are trying to tease Corby out of all of his feathers. I'm sure he could spare one of them. That brought a laugh out of pride. <laughs> I'll let him keep his feather pluckers as long as they don't pluck him bald. I'm betting he's happy getting plucked, Mel remarked dryly. And I bet that you'd be right. He took another pull on his bottle and nodded at the pair of Jeanie and Murdoch at the bar. That seemed to go over well. She nodded. They ain't killing each other. You got a bet going. Pride frowned. On? Which one drinks the other under the table? Three to one on Murdoch, although I personally think Jeannie might hold his liquor better. Mel winked at him before patting him on the shoulder, her eyes quickly scanning the tablet. And you might want to take it easy, sir. He considered the advice as she weaved her way back to the bar. It would do him some real good to take it easy. She was right. Pride's gaze wandered back to the tablet and to the reports, and he sighed. He knew he needed to take it easy, but he didn't have any clue where to begin. The door flew open again, banging hard against the wall behind it, and it didn't move. Of course the door didn't move. It wouldn't dare, considering who was standing in the doorframe. A female was silhouetted against the night-shrouded street outside, arms akimbo, legs braced slightly apart as she surveyed the interior of the bar. She looked exactly like a movie poster or perhaps a propaganda poster for the C.C.C.P. circa 1960 because she was wearing the battle-dress version of the C.C.C.P. uniform, flak jacket and form-fitting pants of nano-weave, supplied via Bella's good offices, gold star in a red circle on her chest, belt supporting firearms and a short club around her waist. Red Savior was always perfectly happy to apply non-lethal force to various parts of thuggish bodies if the circumstances required she hold back on her powers." Untermensch sighed into his vodka and slapped the shot glass down on the counter, evoking a quick pour from Mel. If he was lucky, he might get one or two more before Savior herded the cats home. Is Bink last call for comrades? Savior announced into the silence. Her voice deceptively mild and sweet. There they. Mel was already pouring three shots for her, as this was a nightly ritual. "'Savior strode to the bar and tossed them back in rapid succession. "'Bah! Like water. When are you to be getting proper vodka?' Savior asked scornfully. "'I keep adding diesel to the bottle,' Mel drawled. "'Guess I ain't got the mix-up high enough yet.' Savior barked a laugh, and her eyes lit on the CCCP member nearest her, which happened to be Murdoch he and the genie had their arms draped around each other's shoulders, obviously deep into their cups. They were performing a Johnny Cash song, Ring of Fire to be precise. What was absolutely terrifying was that they were actually doing a good job of attempted two-part harmony. Savior had to grab the back of John's collar, dragging him away, though this didn't stop either of the two men from singing. Red got up as if to follow, but was frozen in place by Savior's cold stare. He sank back onto his stool. Ah, come on, lady. Can't Johnny stay out and play? Savior's wordless glare could have lasered through steel plate. Red shrugged and raised a glass to her grinning. Till next time then, darling. See you tomorrow, Johnny. See if we can follow up on that dragon lead. Beg try a little harder this time, comrade chameleon, she said dryly is not to be found in bottom of bottle. Her gaze next fastened on the cosplayer done up as Soviet. She did a double-take, frowned, and looked as if she might actually do something about the impersonator, before shaking her head and snorting. Her eyes moved on, catching Mamona, summoning her with a quirked finger, and sending her out the door without a single word regarding the fact that drinking age in Georgia was twenty-one, and Mamona was two years shy of that. Another sweep of the bar— ignoring Unter for the moment, allowing him to signal Mel for a refill, and she caught sight of the little stone figure at Unter's elbow. She nodded briefly to it, the creature straightened, put down his paper cup, saluted her, and picked up the cup again before vanishing in a puff of air. One by one the commissar gathered up her errant comrades, coming at the last to Unter, who sighed, drained the last drops of his last drink, and gave her a casual salute. You missed bear he muttered as he passed her. "'I'm not missing Bear, he heard in his ear via the overwatch system, as he joined the slightly weaving line of black-clad comrades heading on foot towards the base. "'I'm not missing Bear at all.' There was a cruel chuckle. "'Is good to let Bear be run out by bartender. Better her arm wear out, beating him, than mind. Besides,' We let him drink Echo vodka instead of ours, are yet having to clean up after, and also save all those many, many rubles. Bear burst through the bathroom door, a lighter in one hand and an empty tumbler in the other, screaming, Free Bird! Play that funky music! The bear looked around, confused. The bar was empty and quiet now. Beer bottles and dirty mugs littered the bar counter and the tables. "'He lowered the lighter and tumbler in his hands, sighing heavily. "'His shoulders slumped, and he seemed to collapse in on himself a little bit. "'He trudged towards the middle of the bar, looking wearier with each step. "'If anyone had been watching, they would have noticed that he looked smaller, diminished. "'If not for the metal chassis that comprised most of his body from the shoulders down, "'he would have been just another lonely old man at closing time. "'He looked up as he fumbled with one of his belt pouches to pay for his tab.' There was a battered and spotted mirror behind all of the drinks. Polished metal, it looked like. Hard to break in case the patrons got a little rowdy. The mirror had small distortions and imperfections in it, but Pavel could see himself well enough in it. A battered and somewhat soiled WW2 NCO's cap sitting crookedly on his salt-and-pepper hair. Almost all salt and no pepper, like bad Uka, he thought wistfully. His mustache wasn't much better, framing his mouth and surrounded with deep furrows from age and fighting. The current song, some pop-country garbage that was popular with the college crowd, ended. The one that followed it was somber, opening with muted piano. Pavel listened quietly, studying himself in the mirror. He was tired, his body destroyed in the Great Patriotic War and remade using some of his own designs and what was then the cutting edge of Soviet engineering and scientific knowledge. It had left him frail, a shell of who he had once been. The son of a watchmaker and a chemist, he had taken after his father before becoming a revolutionary. His experiments had led to the discovery of his own metahuman ability, generating energy blasts through specialized gauntlets that he wore. His research had taken him down dark paths to gain the knowledge to harness his abilities, but it had been in service to the people, or so he had always told himself. That had been decades ago, His glory as a true hero was long since faded. He kept living, though, despite everything. He had seen the slow fall of his beloved motherland, almost all of his friends dead, his name disgraced and then forgotten. Pavel had despaired for a time before following even more selfish pursuits, but that was the past. That was what he thought about the most when he was alone and vegetative in front of the television. "'kept awake nights by the plasma heart chamber "'that whirred incessantly in his chest, "'with only vodka to somewhat dull his thoughts. "'He sighed once more. "'But Commissar would be expecting him back at HQ, no doubt. "'Besides, there was a Matlock marathon tonight, "'and he didn't want to miss it. "'He finished fishing out Muddy from his belt pouch, "'then added a little extra before leaning over the counter "'and grabbing another bottle of people's choice. "'Pavel turned to leave, straightening up, puffing his chest out as much as the chassis would allow, and holding his chin high. He was halfway to the door when Mel emerged from the kitchen, polishing a glass and looking at him queerly. Why do you put on the act, old man? Bear turned, a little startled, before smiling sadly. Hm. There's something different about that, Devushka. <laughs> Being shot in the head would make anyone different. A man? A good bear is being what his comrades need him to be. If they are needing me to be Jester, then that is what this bear will be for them. Spokoi not Tovarich. Pavel glanced one last time at the mirror at the back of the bar, and with that he marched out, belting out a drunken and poorly done rendition of Freebird. You have been listening to Collision, Season 8 of the Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series. Season 8 is written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jagger. Music is Exciting Trailer by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle podcast is narrated and produced by Veronica Jagger, and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. The fourth book, Collision, is available in print and ebook in December 2014 from the amazing people at Bayon Books. For more information about the series or to listen to earlier seasons, check out www.secretworldchronicle.com. Want to chat with the authors and fellow SWC fans? Join the Secret World Chronicle group on Facebook. And as always, thank you for listening.